Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside ND Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideNDSports.com on the Rivals Network. Only one thing can pull the attention away from Notre Dame football's big recruiting month, and that's the incredible postseason run that the Irish baseball program is currently making after winning a regional at Georgia Southern and a super regional at number one overall seed Tennessee. The Irish are returning to the College World Series for the first time since 2002. Notre Dame will get started in Omaha on Friday night against Texas. And to dive into this special season for Notre Dame baseball, we wanted to pick the brain of an expert. So we invited ESPN analyst Mike Rooney, a former Notre Dame baseball player and longtime high school and college baseball coach, to bless us with some knowledge. Mike, thanks for joining us. Yeah, this is a pleasure, you guys. I, I got to tell you, you may appreciate this. The... Um, so I was in studio the last two weekends, and especially last weekend as that series with Tennessee was going down, my phone is exploding. Even my co-hosts are saying, like, you must be so thrilled, blah, blah, blah. And you guys know, like, in my role in college baseball now, I cannot be a Notre Dame homer. You know, like, it's – and, you know, truly, I think Notre Dame's team is wonderful, and I'm excited to talk to you guys about that. I thought Tennessee's team was historic. Um, and that hence the upset, but finally people were just giving me such a hard time about, they're like, stop it. You know, like, you know, you're excited, blah, blah, blah. And I finally stopped them and said, look, if this was Notre Dame football, you're right. I would go full blown <laughs> fanboy on you, but in baseball, I have to be an adult. So luckily today, the three of us are not going to talk about Notre Dame football because I would show the less mature, uh, version of myself, <laughs> but, uh, but, but excited to talk about the baseball program. Well, they should have given you points for objectivity when you put on the daddy jacket. For <laughs> That's right. Yes. At that point, I didn't know for sure it was going to be Notre Dame and, and Tennessee. But um, yeah, that was... Uh... Hey, that, that's how good this Tennessee team was, that we were literally having wagers, Tennessee versus the field. Mike, what, what, to what do you attribute Notre Dame being able to make a run this far into the postseason? Did, did you expect them to... Obviously, like you said, being being put in the bracket that put them against Tennessee so early maybe hurt their chances. But uh, uh, did you expect them to be able to make a run like this? Well, I, I, I did until I saw the bracket, you know, like I, I think that was the problem. And, you know, I, I'm not taking a shot at the selection committee here. Mike Buddy, who's the athletic director at Army, is our committee chairman for the selection uh, deal for baseball. And he's awesome. Played college baseball, um, played in the big leagues, loves college baseball. You know, the, the, you guys know in all sports, the selection deal is just an impossible task. But it does feel like they are not feeling Notre Dame over the last couple of years, right? I mean, for Notre Dame to win the ACC by four and a half games last year and, you know, not be a top eight national seed is completely unprecedented. And then this year, I, I hey, the week before we're talking about, are they a top eight? Are they a top 16? Then they're neither. Then they're paired with Tennessee. And you're like, goodness gracious, what did we do here? But um you know, I, I think the, the, your question, Tyler, was were they capable of making a run like this? Yes, but for them to go through the belly of the beast like this, that felt highly unlikely just because Tennessee felt so unbeatable. I mean, you guys think about this in a partial scholarship sport. You know, we have 11.7 scholarships. So as a coach for, for, you know, 27 men that are on your travel roster. So as a coach, you got to kind of pick a lane, right? Like, you can either really get invested in pitching or you can get really invested in hitting or you can try to do that that balancing act in the middle. 
And Tennessee led the country in home runs and ERA. So from a scholarship standpoint, that's not mathematically possible to do that, mm-hmm. right? But Tony Vitello and his staff have done an incredible job. Um, so it's a very long answer to your question, Tyler. I, I, I have great respect for Notre Dame's program. I think if you look at what Link Jarrett and those guys have done over the last three years, including the pandemic season, which is when they started to get on the radar, um, they were capable of anything. I mean, they nearly took down the national champion in 2021. But this ten- to beat this Tennessee team twice at Lindsey Nelson Stadium felt like, you know, Jimmy Braddock type of long shot. Wow. Well, as we jump into the group in Omaha, and I always think that's kind of an interesting format because at most you're only going to play one team from the other bracket. So let's focus on Texas, Oklahoma, and Texas A&M. How do you feel like Notre Dame stacks up with those three teams? Yeah, I'll tell you guys, I think that's the coolest thing about this Omaha field is we don't have a legitimate favorite. And you could go anywhere you wanted picking this thing. Um, you know, Texas, I would tell you, I think Texas might have the best position player group in the country. However, they're extremely right-handed and their bullpen has had issues with strike throwing at times. You know, my, my partner, one of my buddies, Kendall Rogers, he's one of my partners at D1 Baseball. I say partner. He, he, he's, he's really the show. I'm just a little bit part. But, you know, Kendall wisely pointed out, if you look at Texas's bullpen, if they don't throw strikes, who better to take advantage of that than Notre Dame, A&M, and OU, who are three teams that really grind you out from an at-bat standpoint. You know, Oklahoma is the most improved team in the country over the last five months. They're finally healthy. You know, they're, they're a really interesting team. Um, A&M, I think, is a little short in the rotation. They do not play great defense. I think that that is not a good formula in Omaha where the park plays so big. But all that said, I mean, any, any of these four teams could come out of here. And Notre Dame, just because of the style of play, is so unique. They're so, I mean, you guys know this. Like, on every, any given day, nine of the ten names on Link Jarrett's lineup card are college graduates, if not you know, more than college graduates, multi-graduates. So, you know, it's an old team that Notre Dame doesn't have a ton of tools, but man, are they skilled. They are just really skilled at the game of baseball. One, one little follow-up on that, you know, I'm not, I guess I get scratched my head sometimes on why people's skills aren't translatable to pro baseball and when I looked at the Athletics top 100 draft draftable prospects, and Ivan Melendez wasn't on that, you know, the home run leader, the Hispanic Titanic, I guess they call right. him. I, I and, and just his crazy numbers. Why? Why would that be? Why wouldn't he be considered a high draft pick? Yeah, I, you know, the scouting deal in baseball is very profile driven. And, um, you know, I, I guess the football analogy would be, you know, the combine guy versus the guy that just got a lot of great football on tape. And sometimes the combine guy is the one that rides up the draft boards. Baseball right. has a lot of that, too. And, you know, Ivan Melendez has got, you know, I, I would agree with you, Eric. Like, I think this is a for sure big leaguer. Last year, he was just a big, strong kid. This yeah. year, you know, the comp I would give you guys, and this is outrageous. You know, you got to kind of tone it down for college baseball. But. Ivan Melendez is kind of like college baseball's version of Miguel Cabrera. He's a really big kid who's learned how to hit. And that's a scary combination. But 
when you look at the drafting, you know, drafting is all about percentages and he's already got a labrum surgery in his background. He's old in, 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 in the baseball scouting community does not like age. Um, he's right. a fourth year college student. He's a for sure only first baseman. He's a right-handed hitter. So, you know, the, he doesn't check those boxes, but what he does check is, you know, the statistic. He, he's, his performance has been incredible. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how Notre Dame is able to pitch around him. What, Mike, what would you say are the keys to, to Notre Dame continuing this run that they've had? What, what, what does Notre Dame need to do to keep winning? I would say, you know, this is cliche, but just keep doing their thing. You know, what I liked about what they did against Tennessee is they they um, they were very aggressive on the bases. And that's part of their, you know, Link Jarrett coaches a very skill oriented, a very team offense, ex, you know, oriented approach. Um, Notre Dame's not going to just sit back and wail away and try to, you know, hit three run homers. It's not an Earl Weaver type of deal. Um, the, the problem they're going to have against Texas is Texas is really, really um, good defensively. Their shortstop, Trey Faltini, he looks the part. Like you could throw him in a big league uniform and you, he would not look out of place. Their catcher, Silas Ardouan, is the son of a big leaguer, Danny Ardouan. He's an out, out, elite, elite defensive um, catcher. However, their pitcher is left-handed. So if you're trying to run on a left-hander, you're really running on the pitcher, not the catcher. So I think if you're Notre Dame, you know, they, they've got such a unique style. They just got to do that, do that. And then if you're, you're facing Texas, East Carolina gave you a blueprint for beating Pete Hansen. You know, you, you got to get on the fastball. You got to force him to pitch in. And then if you can get in the Texas bullpen, you got a chance. Um, if you don't get in that bullpen and you let Hansen go deep, deep, deep into that game, that's a problem because that kid's really good. Yeah, and you would think um, with Notre Dame having seven righties and two switch hitters in the lineup, a lefty would be probably what they'd like to see preferred. Um, yeah. So um, I guess the one thing I wanted to address with you too is that the team to this point has handled the Link Jarrett kind of rumors pretty well. Mm -hmm. I, I'm wondering, do you think ultimately when we get through Notre Dame's run in the College World Series, Link Jarrett will still be the coach at Notre Dame? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Eric, because I had a fun conversation with one of my college baseball colleagues about this because you guys know I think this applies to all sports but we definitely see it in baseball when the coaches are kind of being courted by other schools and it keeps getting oxygen it tends to destroy teams in the postseason you know like I, I can't think of an example where a team succeeded in the postseason when their coach was going through something like this and I, I was curious about this with Notre Dame and the conclusion that that we came to was well, hey, if nine of the 10 kids are graduates, they're leaving too. It's kind of like kumbaya, yeah. right? It's like, hey, you're leaving, I'm leaving, we're all leaving, right? So this is all good. Like, I, I, I hope you get a good job. I hope I get a great job, right? So it's, it's um, you know, they're, they're all in the, the career counseling office together, Link Jared included. But, you know, guys, I would say um, I don't want to be pejorative towards Florida State, but it is a very unique job. You know, I would tell you that Florida State baseball has – a rich man's aspirations with a poor man's wallet. You know, they just don't. And, and you know, that, that, that translates to a lot of things. They're, they're right in the middle of the SEC, right? And they don't have the stadium. They have a nice stadium. They have a cool stadium. They have a great fan base, 
but they don't have the stadium to compete with those other schools in the Southeast. I'll tell you what they don't also don't have is NIL money. Um, they don't have money for staff like those SEC programs do. So, you know, and then if you think about it, Florida State just fired Link Jarrett's college teammate. They fired the son of Link Jarrett's college coach. So I don't know, like, is that mean, is that a deal breaker or is it a deal maker? Because, you know, Mike Martin Sr. and Jr. say, Link, we're upset, but we want you to have this job as opposed to an outsider. So it's very complicated. Um, you know, I, I again, I'm, this is going to be pejorative towards Florida State. I think if I was Link Jarrett's agent, I would tell him, hey, man, I, I think there's a better job in your future if that's what you want. No offense to Florida State, but um, Florida State's a, a good to very good job. But some of these other jobs that are just, you know, awesome advantage jobs, I, uh, if I was Link Jarrett, I'd probably hold out for that. Uh, let me throw this at you too, Mike. Um, you know, Notre Dame has shown in these last couple of years, certainly during the Maneri time and certainly during your time with Pat Murphy, that it's capable of being very competitive. But at what, how much are, how much do you think Notre Dame should invest? And I'll put it in this terms, in terms of facilities, in terms of a coach salary that's going to keep them there. And the third thing is there's talk about uncapped scholarships coming up. Mm -hmm. And if they're in the ACC, they're going to have to be competitive with the uncapped scholarships. So given what Notre Dame can maybe bring in revenue wise, is it, is it wise? Should, should Notre Dame, is it, as a Notre Dame grad, should Notre Dame invest in baseball to be nationally competitive? Yeah, I would say, I mean, I think it depends on what's important to Notre Dame. You know, like, um, do they care to be great in college baseball? Like, is this, is, this, um, is this important to them? I would tell you guys that I don't think the expenses required for baseball are, and, and you know, again, I perceive Notre Dame to have pretty significant disposable income, and maybe that's wrong, but, you know, like, maybe it's not wrong. I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's, it seems like every time we build something at Notre Dame, there, it's, there's a waiting list to get your name on it. It's not, it, it, like, fundraising feels like the wrong term. It feels like fun selection. But all that said, I don't know. Maybe it's harder than I perceive it to be. I'm sure it is. But I would tell you guys that, hey, Notre Dame's never going to be in the NIL game and they don't need to be in baseball, right? Like, because think about it, Notre Dame's not beating the SEC schools for college baseball players. They have to look in a different, you know, um, place for those players where where Notre Dame has found a nice niche is these grad transfers. And I think that that will continue to be the case because the graduate programs in Notre Dame are so attractive. So I think where Notre Dame needs help is, yes, coaching salaries can always increase. And that's important because, you know, all rises and falls with leadership facility upgrades, always important, especially given the weather. Um, I think admissions is the real trick to Notre Dame being good in baseball. Mm -hmm. Kids want to come to Notre Dame, but I've, you know, you've always, I've heard stories for years about, Hey, there's seven players on Wake Forest roster that couldn't get into Notre Dame. There's seven players on Duke's roster that couldn't get into Notre Dame. You know, wow. that's where Notre Dame needs the help is in admissions. And, you know, certainly, you know, just continuing to improve the program, but I, I don't think they'd ever have to go just hog wild in baseball to be competitive. Mike, I, I wanted to get you to maybe pinpoint a couple of players that, that, that Notre Dame really needs to come through in this run in the college world series for them to, to, to maybe have a chance to, to win it all. Yeah, I would say, um, 
top of mind, John Michael Bertrand's, you know, I didn't think it was possible for them to win that super regional with him struggling. So Mm -hmm. him getting back on track and certainly he's, you know, he's been mostly awesome. You know, Jack Finley has got a very unique fastball and his continued success would really, really help those guys. You know, the, the good news in Omaha is because there are days off sprinkled in there. You can shrink your pitching staff. You know, I, I think for Notre Dame, they're, they're, they don't have a position player that can carry the team for an extended stretch of time. They don't have an Ivan Melendez. I mean, you could argue Jack Brannigan, but, you know, statistically, he's not that player. He's, a, he's, a, he's their most talented players. I think for Notre Dame, their style and the depth of their position player group is the key. They're going to need nine guys rowing in the same direction. You know, I think their style is actually perfect for, you know, Charles Schwab, the Chuck box, I guess we're calling it now, Charles Schwab field. Um, I think their style is an advantage, but, but the the depth of their lineup is it's the, it's a sum of the parts thing for Notre Dame. It's not like one star player offensively for me. I wanted to follow up on Brian again, you know, at the, at the beginning of the year, they were using him out of the bullpen pretty regularly. And I know that he can touch 100 miles per hour on his fastball. But if you're advising him on his future um, in pro baseball, what what would you advise him to to go down the position player route or or maybe pursue the pitching? I think um, I think what'll happen is he'll be drafted as a position player with an option to pitch. Meaning, you know, you see it with Bobby Dahlbeck of Arizona from a couple years ago where, Hey, we're going to run him out here as a position player. Cause there's more value there. And then if he fails, we know he's got a great arm and, and there's some pitching history there. And in theory, it's a fresh arm. I would tell you guys, like he's got some work to do on the mound. Some of the, the times the Notre Dame struggled this year, you know, he was on the mound and, you know, it, it just, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to be critical of Jack Brannigan. It's hard, right? It's hard to be a middle of the order bat and play third base and develop the skill you need because he's got a great arm, but his velocity can play a little bit on the light side at times, meaning it comes in at 97, but the hitters don't mind it. You know, when his ball's got a little bit more life on it, you know, 94, 95 is dominant, whereas the 97, 98 is a bunch of balls in the gap. So I, I think that's what I would advise, Eric. And I think that's the way it'll play out. Um, that's what we see historically is send, send the guy out as a position player, see what it looks like. Cause here's the thing. This kid is an exceptional athlete. I mean, just, he looks like a Notre Dame football player, like walked into the wrong locker room. You know what I mean? Like it, it's six, two ish, 220 pounds, fastest guy on the field. I mean, he, he is a really impressive athlete. Well, you know, Marcus Freeman was over there congratulating <laughs> them when they got back. So maybe there was an ulterior motive there. That's right. Back off, Marcus. Come on now. Okay. My last question for you is John Michael Bertrand. I mean, what a story getting cut mm-hmm. at Furman as a walk-on and he's 24 years old with two uh, master's degrees from Notre Dame. If he were 19 or 20 years old versus 24, would he have a future, a, a solid future beyond Notre Dame in baseball? You know, that's a great question. I mean, it, it kind of who he is is the reason why we are 24 years old and still pitching in college. You know, he, to me, he's kind of a, 
he's a left-handed uh, Greg Maddox college baseball version where, you know, he's got cutters going this way and curveballs going down and then changeups going the other direction. And, you know, it's what Tony Gwynn said about Greg Maddox. It's like there are multiple pitches crisscrossing home plate. And I don't, you know, what are you supposed to do with that? And so he's so skilled in that regard. And, you know, his heartbeat is perfect. And so, but I think if he was 19 years old, the scouts would still be looking at, well, we love his skill, but is there really any projection in that body? And, um, he's going to have to be perfect to do this at the higher levels of professional baseball. I think he's going to get a chance and I think we're going to find out. Um, but it is interesting. It's because remember guys, Greg Maddox, here's what we forget. He entered professional baseball as a flamethrower and then he became <laughs> Greg Maddox. That that's the disadvantage. John Michael Bertrand uh, doesn't, you know, he never was the flamethrower. He had to develop this skill just to, just to make a college team really. Right. Well, all right, Mike, that's all we have for you. We really appreciate you taking time to talk to us today. And uh, we look forward to uh, following the, the, the coverage you guys are providing for the College World Series. Yes. Well, I enjoy your guys' football coverage very, very much. And um, my, my wife enjoys it less because I could get completely psychotic during football season. <laughs> but keep up the great work, you guys. Really enjoy it. And thanks for having me. All right. Now it's time for questions. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or on the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at T James ND and Eric's at E Hansen ND. First question we have is from Mike Devoy one. Does CJ Card's commitment lessen the urgency slash need to get Dante Moore's commitment? Still love to get more. Yeah, I think it lessens the urgency, but it doesn't remove the urgency. And I think it would be great for Notre Dame to get both of them as well. I would not drop Dante. I would continue to go after both of them. I, I think some of it has to do with what, what's been promised to CJ Carr. Um, but I still think you need a quarterback in the 2023 class. Uh, so, you know, that's my answer. Yeah. I, I mean, to me, I mean, it might lessen the urgency. I don't think it lessens the need um, because Notre Dame needs to stack top quarterbacks. They don't all pan out. Notre Dame has been able to get a top quarterback here or there, but they're, deficient and and those haven't all necessarily panned out and the right. problem is that they don't they don't they don't get enough of them in a row um and so that that really i mean it hurts your chances i mean if if, if your odds of a top quarterback not panning out or x uh that x decreases if you don't get a, a quarterback of that talent in, in every um recruiting cycle so um in, in my opinion it only really decreases or lessens the need um, if Clark, if Carr class reclassifies, if he changes to the 2023 class, now he keeps uh, indicating that that's not necessarily part of his plan right now. Um, and uh, we'll see how that changes moving forward. Next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. Carr's commitment was based a lot on his relationship with Tommy Reese. If Reese were to leave, do you think Carr would could have a change of heart? Ultimately, do you see Reese in college football or the NFL? The NCAA investigation of Miami for real or for show? I say for show. So we got like three different questions there. So uh, let's start first with uh, if if Carr would change his mind if, if Reese were to leave. You know, the, uh, Notre Dame has done a really good job of working on that with him. And he's done a very good job of kind of understanding that that's a probability that's going to happen during his time at Notre Dame. And the Freeman factor is really the big deal here because 
he has a relationship with Marcus Freeman now. And I think CJ's quote was, if Tommy Reese leaves, you know, they're committed to hiring the best. And, and he seems to be comfortable with that. So. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. I, I mean, I would never say never in the circumstance of a recruit changing his mind after a coach leaves, but um, Tommy Reese has certainly played an important role in CJ Carr's recruitment, but I think Carr is bought into everything that goes into Notre Dame and, and Marcus Freeman being the head coach is part of that as well. So I think he'll end up st- sticking in the class. Um, if, if that were, if, if, if Reese does to, were to leave before he came to Notre Dame. Uh, so then the next question was, do you see Reese in college football or in the NFL ultimately? Well, I think he'll get offers from both and, and he's, you know, it would be a head coaching position in college versus an offensive coordinator position in the NFL, I think, is the next step. I would think the offensive coordinator position in the NFL would appeal to him more at this point because I, I don't think he's going to get the kind of job like Marcus Freeman got. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think he's going to have to go a little bit more of a rebuild Um program or a, or a group of five program, which I think are going to be increasingly more difficult to coach at just kind of given the financial gulf between the power five and the group of five that seems to be forming. So I, I would, if I had to roll the dice and guess, I would say offensive coordinator in NFL. Yeah. I believe Reese will at some point become an NFL coach. I, I don't know if I feel terribly strongly either way in terms of whether that's his next job or um, eventually down the road. But I I just think that's a challenge he's interested in and he would fit at the NFL level with his personality and his, and his uh, smarts for the game. So I I think that's something that we'll see Tommy Reese do at some point, Um, whether it's his next job, I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure on. I think it sort of depends on, like you mentioned, the opportunities that would be presented to him as, as his next job. I think he he's a harder sell as a younger college head coach, in my opinion, at a big time program because he just doesn't have the same sort of personality that Marcus does. I think Mark Marcus is makes up for his inexperience by like he walks in a room and everyone sort of gravitates to Marcus Marcus Freeman. Now that Tommy Reese isn't a great guy or, or a funny guy to be around, but I just he just doesn't have that same sort of um, charisma to him. I, I think that's that's sort of natural that Marcus Freeman has. So I think that may be limiting in sort of Tommy Reese's uh, potential to get, like you mentioned, like he could be a power five school would take a chance on a guy like that. But if, if you don't have that, okay, this guy wows everybody when he walks into a room, I think it's harder to sell a young head coach in a big time program like that. And then lastly, the NCAA investigation of Miami. Do you think that's for real or for show? I think it's for show. You know, I did a, four-part series with Jack Swarbrick on various aspects of the Notre Dame athletic program. And when I asked him about this recent pushback from the NCAA in terms of redefining NIL and kind of threatening slash promising to enforce it, I asked him, you know, what do you think the chances that they'll enforce it? And he laughed. I mean, not, um, you know, ha ha, the evil plan is coming in. It's kind of laugh. I mean, it was like I was telling him a joke, and uh, 
you know, he wasn't trying to be condescending about it, but he, he just doesn't see that as a possibility. And I would agree. I, I think, you know, the NCAA, at least right now, until Mark Emmert is out, there's just no teeth to that. And there are going to be legal challenges and so forth. So I, I just think it's, uh, it's, I guess the new word is theater. It's theater. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would say the investigation is real, but the, whether or not they'll do anything yeah. is a different story. <laughs> yeah. Like I think they're looking into it and trying to figure out what's going on there, but whether or not they'll actually have, have the, the spine or the ability to, to punish that behavior, I think is a different story. Um, and I mean, that, that could be really bad news for the NCAA if it, if it can't do something about it, because it seems like what Miami and John Ruiz have been doing is about as brazen as you can be when they talk about signing people to contracts to his, to his business um, and stuff like that uh, while they're, while they're recruiting guys. So I, I, I don't know. It's a, uh, it's definitely, it's, it's going to be interesting to see because I think this, it could sort of set the, the expectations of what's to come after that. Cause if, if, if the NCAA can't do anything about that, then I don't, I don't know what, what are the examples that it will have <laughs> to be able to do anything about it? And maybe that's the reason why Jack Swarbrick lasts because he just doesn't seem that seem to think that the NCA will have the ability to do the things that it, it says it wants to do. Next question is from Christopher Cruz at Chris ND 92. Does the fact that ND appears to be ready to take five to six offensive linemen in the 2023 class versus previous classes, under he stand having two to three each offensive lineman class have more to do with the lineman in the room already or the quality of the lineman available and interested now? I would lean to the quality of lineman available and interested now and, and, and also the fit with Harry. Um, and it's nothing against the people on the roster. I think Harry was really happy with what he inherited. Um, you know, there's only going to be there's only a couple of linemen with expiring eligibility, and that's a Jarrett Patterson and Josh Lug. Uh, but Harry certainly, when he was here the first time, was able to stack a lot of linemen up, very quality linemen up, without a lot of transfers. Um, you know, and so maybe some of the numbers it's it's going to be a lot of numbers, maybe to kind of test that to see if that's still in place or to give you a little protection in case there are portal defections because he's probably not going to be a guy that ever takes a portal player in the future because he's never going to have holes not not that he's against it but you think about I mean Billy Strouth and Rocco and you know the two tackles and Josh you know Tosh Baker's not playing you know, there's there's a lot of quality players, uh, and then you look at the six that they possibly could sign, and you just kind of shake your head and say, "I'm really looking forward to this era of Notre Dame football." Yeah, I, I think I wanted to mention that he stand having two in one class was only happened once when he lost Tillery to the defensive line, um, and he had three in another class, but he signed five, four, and four in his three other full classes, so. I think it, it it's it's misremembering the facts to to say that he would have two or three each offensive line class. Um, so I, and I I think it's important to add that I don't know that that's necessarily was his preference. Uh, 
that was sort of the the numbers he was allowed to bring in. I mean, if they would have said, <laughs> Harry, bring in as many as offensive linemen as you can every year, he probably would have brought in more than two or three of those couple classes. But I, I don't think it's a reflection of the quality of the linemen on the roster because they have good young offensive linemen. It's a, it's more of an understanding of, of the reality that not all those guys are going to play or be happy as career backups. Some of those guys will choose to transfer out. And now I know um, at Notre Dame, you're more likely to see those guys wait three years potentially and graduate before they do that. But they do have a numbers log jam there. So I think um, preparing yourself for, for not being vulnerable to that um, means sort of recruiting heavily in this class. Now I'm, I'm sure it has something to do with Harry wanting to get his guys. And I also think that, so it might be five was sort of the, the number going into this. And then six was a, re, a realization of like, Hey, we could actually potentially get, six guys that we really like in this class. I still don't know that that's necessarily going to happen. Right. But if it does, it's because both Charles Jagersa and Monroe Freeling want to be in the class and it's hard to turn those, those guys down. So um, I, I don't necessarily see a scenario where one of those two picks a different school and then Notre Dame goes out and pursues another offensive lineman to be the sixth in the class. So um, it, it, it's a, it's a mix of everything there. I know I gave you a little bit of everything, uh, but but I think that's sort of how those things work. It, it has a little bit to do with what what Harry Heekstand sees and anticipates and the ability he's given to uh, recruit that many guys. Because, uh, I mean, he, he's not the one who decides how many scholarships are available. Obviously, he has input in that, like, hey, I need this amount. Um, but someone else has to make the call, like, okay, we can we can afford to allot five or six offensive line scholarships in this class. Next question is from OK underscore thanks on the Insider Lounge. Can you rank Notre Dame's chances on the five-star players in the 2023 class? Not all of them, obviously, just the ones that ND has a real shot at. I do like that handle. OK, thanks. (laughs) Uh, So right now, I think from my calculation, Notre Dame either has or is in contention for four of them. And there's eventually that line is going to come down from 19 five-stars to 32 five-stars. So you could maybe even throw right. Caleb Downs and Brendan Vernon in that pot since they're top 32 players right now. So they, of those six, they have two committed. So I would put them at the top as <laughs> the most likely. And then after that, um, between Samuel Mapemba, uh, Carnell Tate, Dante Moore and Caleb Downs, I would put Mapemba at the top. I would put Dante Moore next. Um, I put Downs ahead of uh, Carnell Tate. I don't think Carnell Tate's coming. I think they made a real impression on Caleb Downs, the safety from Georgia um, during his visit, and they've got a lot of work to do there, but they're a player now, so that's my viewpoint of it from reading Tyler's stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I, uh, uh, I didn't include downs or the, or the guys that were committed to Notre Dame. Um, if I were, I guess if I, so here, so the three guys that I considered were Mpemba, Moore and Tate, and I would rank them as I just said them, Samuel Mpemba as, as the Notre Dame's best chance at the remaining five stars that they don't have committed. And then Dante Moore, uh, the quarterback and wide receiver, Carnell Tate. Uh, I gave, I offer percentages too. I, 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 just to maybe spice it up and give a little bit more because I figured we might both have the same answers. Um, I said, 
put Notre Dame at like a 33% chance at Mpemba, 25% chance at Moore, and 10% chance at Tate. Tate seems the most unrealistic at this point. Um, if I were going to throw downs into that mix, I would probably put him between Mpemba and Moore right now. I just There's just too much uncertainty about what the heck's going on with Dante Moore right now. Um, yeah. And uh, it seems like Notre Dame is kind of – I think – he has sort of given Notre Dame to get antsy. And uh, now I think Notre Dame has given him a reason to be antsy. Um, so, so I think, I think it's a, uh, uh, there's going to be cooler heads are going to have to prevail on that situation to figure out if Notre Dame's going to have an actual real chance at Dante Moore eventually again. Uh, so, but yeah, I, I, I think Notre Dame did leave a good impression on Caleb Downs. I think there are some big time schools there that Notre Dame's fighting against, whether it's Georgia, Alabama, or Ohio state. So um, I, I think there's some work to do there. And, and Mapemba is the one that he, he's not in a hurry to commit. So Notre Dame decided, oh, hey, let's bring you back on campus for an official visit um, for the Clemson game rather than getting him on campus in June. So a long, a long way to go there. I don't know that – I think Notre Dame has maybe faded a little bit in, in its um, – where it stands there with, with Georgia making a, a good run at, at, at Mapemba. But um, there's plenty of time for Notre Dame to keep, keep impressing him as well. Next question is from Cheryl Russo at Cheryl R. Bunch of Numbers. When does summer practice start for Notre Dame football? Um, I, I wanted to give Cheryl a message, too. She had tweeted at me because she was pretty disappointed about how the ACC baseball tournament went. And I think it was something to the effect of, when, why can't we have nice things? Well, it ended up turning out okay. The ACC baseball tournament didn't end up being the end-all, be-all. But um, to your football question, it's already started. The uh, freshmen came in. They started classes on Monday, um, and they're going to have OTAs this month. The veterans came in a week earlier, and, and pre-COVID, that was kind of the pattern. The veterans would come in. they do some community service stuff, and they would – they would kind of get started with their their workouts and so forth. So um, there's very little organized kind of practice time with the OTAs. Uh, it's more going to be, you know, players having their own practices, seven on sevens and stuff, which is which is organized, but it's not with coaches present. But but with the OTAs, they can do things without the football and the coaches can be present. I've seen some of those. It was funny, um, back uh, when in 2017 in June, I got to see an OTA, and Mike Elko would run the um, the sprints with the players. He finished dead last, but I thought that was kind of funny that he <laughs> did that. And they put, yeah. they put, um, they put uh, the names of the new freshmen on the helmets, taped on uh -huh. the helmets. So that Brian Kelly would know what their names were. <laughs> well, sometimes it's hard to, hard to tell the difference between the guys when they got their helmets on. But uh, I, I, hopefully they weren't doing uh, like you had with our former uh, tribute photographer, Robert Franklin, and confusing Robbie Toma and Louis Nix. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, next question is from Buster Biven at Buster Biven. Which freshman will play the most snaps in 2022? Well, I wrote down five guys. Um, <laughs> and not, and, not and, for burgers. 
and, and uh, to be clear, I, I don't know that I maybe even pronounced it right. He said fresh man as in singular. So Eric's five person answer is a little bit cheating, but we'll go ahead. Go ahead with it. Eric. Well, maybe I'm maybe I'm lonely for five guys. I haven't eaten there in a long time. Have you? <laughs> uh, Remember no, when no. that was such a big deal? And we'd get the Cajun fries and yeah, yeah. It's almost like it's not even here anymore. Okay, so if I had to go with one, well, I would say Bryce McPherson, if punting counted, uh, I think he's he's going to compete with that. Here's the five that I I put down: Bryce McPherson, Tobias Merriweather, Eli Reardon, Jaden Mickey, Jadarian Price. Who out of those will get the most reps? It better be Tobias Merriweather. They need him to, to take a lot of reps. So I will put him as the number one rep guy. And they don't want to punt a lot. So Bryce McPherson will get pushed down. Well, yeah. I mean, even if they do punt a lot, he's still not getting 100 snaps. I don't think he's going to punt a hundred times. So um, I, I, uh, uh, my, I, I put, I kept special teams in play here as hey, well. He's a good athlete though. I mean, he was <laughs> second in the long jump and he could do something else. Okay. Go yeah. Ahead. He's a wrestler too, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's put him on the kickoff team. Have him go run down and tackle guys. Um, I, I think if we're counting special team snaps, I'd go with Jaden Mickey um, because I think he'll be able to find a role on defense and then would also have some value on special teams as well. Um, but if we're not counting special team snaps, I would go with Jadarian Price. Um, I think it's I, he his his snaps will be limited some because of the number of running backs that they have available and they like. But I do think he he will be able to find a somewhat consistent role in the offense. Um, I I I think you are right in that in the best case scenario, Tobias Merriweather is that person. But I'm just I don't know that I'm I wasn't quite ready to go there yet. Um, so at, at this point I'll say price, but I, maybe I would change my answer come mid August, uh, after seeing Tobias wear Merriweather a little bit. My, my only question about Tobias, I mean, we had him on the podcast. I mean, he's smart. He's, he's, so he's going to get the playbook. He's fast. He won the 200 meter dash in the Washington state and largest class, uh, 200 meter dash. My question is durability with him. He's still pretty thin. And when he won that, I mean, he had his hand, I think it was his hamstrings taped. I mean, he, he had s some hamstring injury. So he's tough and he'll battle through things. But you don't want, one thing you don't want is an injured wide receiver. That's, that's the thing. So I'm just wondering physically how he holds up. So he and Matt Bayless need to be best friends this summer. All right, next question is from Jack Quinn at JQ6008. How much are they going to let Tyler Buckner run? I'm hoping the offense they ran in the Fiesta Bowl was a one-off and not a glimpse of things to come. Well, I mean, there's no reason why they would run the Oklahoma State game plan with Tyler Buckner. Um, he's got a different skill set. Notre Dame has different team strengths. You know, offensive line run blocking and, and the running game was not – a strength against a team that was one of the best rush defenses in the country. Um, I thought it was a smart move for the first half and still think Tyler Buckner and his, his uh, skill set should have seen some time in the second half. I think they're not going to be shy about running Tyler Buckner. I, I mean, it would be silly to say, 
yeah, Tyler, we're not going to run you when, when that's one of his best traits. Uh, it's, it's what a lot of defensive coordinators will try to do when they play Notre Dame is try to make him a pocket passer and not let him get outside and run. Uh, so I think it would be silly not to use him. I, you know, if they're up three touchdowns in a game, then maybe you pull back on that a little bit, but I mean, that's what he does. I mean, that's one of his great, great strengths. That's going to be one of the reasons why Notre Dame's difficult to play against. Yeah. I struggle with how to, how to quantify my answer in terms of how much they're going to let him run at, at less than the amount he ran last year. Uh, but, but like, like, like you said, they're not just going to plug him in the Fiesta Bowl game plan either. That was, that was a specific plan based on Notre Dame's personnel and Ohio, Oklahoma state's personnel. Um, so they're going to let him run, um, but they're going to try to protect him as well. Um, but I also think they, they, they like that drew pine as a backup. So they're not, they're not like scared to death that if Tyler Buckner gets hurt, the world is going to end. Um, so, so they're, they're going to use his skill set, um, but they're, they're going to teach him to protect himself in those situations too. get out of bounds when you, when you can't slide. If, if you already pick up the first down, there are, there are, there are moments in a game where you don't have to take hits as a, as a running quarterback. Um, and, and uh, obviously you, it's easier to be comfortable with a kid that has more experience than Tyler Buckner does. Um, doing that, but um, I think uh, maybe lower your shoulder less. I think would be also part of the part of the plan. Like there are certain ways that I mean, Tyler Buckner's a physical runner too, but he doesn't necessarily have to be a physical runner for Notre Dame as, as the quarterback. Next question is from Baba Ganoush at plact underscore itfdb. In your opinions, what is the 2022 season's floor for Notre Dame? The honeymoon period will be over soon, so I wonder how surprised and or disappointed fans will be if any struggles and if they take into account the tougher 2022 schedule than recent years. Um, I would say the floor for me, you know, barring just a wave of crazy injuries would be nine and three. I think if you had some very critical key injuries, maybe eight and four. And how are, how are the fans going to process it you know some of it isn't just the number it's what the team looks like when they're playing and it also will hinge on recruiting you know if Notre Dame ends up having a top three class it goes nine and three I think people will be pretty excited and say well you know what they're going to even be better next year um and the best example I can give and I'm going way back in time here is um, the end of the Faust era and the beginning of the Holtz era. They were five and six both of those years in 1985 and 1986. And the attitude about the program couldn't have been different. I mean, that five and six 1986 team challenged top five teams and top 10 teams and lost, you know, you could tell that something special was brewing. And it was two years later, they won a national championship. So I think, again, if Notre Dame looks good in losing, you know, let's say they play Ohio State to a three-point game, that's way different than losing by 21 and looking overmatched from a talent standpoint. Yeah, I, I said on the podcast last week that eight and four seemed like the four to me that with the combination of opponents 
inexperienced at head coach and quarterback and then uncertainty in the kicking game could those things could could cost Notre Dame some games this season how how would fans receive a season like that like I I think some probably poorly um but if if the like you mentioned if the recruiting stays high people won't be as upset um I also would add like I think in recent years uh the question said that this, the 2022 schedule is tougher than recent years. Um, I would say in recent years, the schedule has almost always seemed tougher in the preseason than it ends up being. Um, so I, I think it'll be, I'm fascinated to see if, okay, is, is this 2022 schedule going to be as tough as it seems, or are some of these, some of these teams that we think could take the next step, whether it's Boston college, whether it's USC, um, will those, will the, will those teams, not actually be as tough as we think. Will they be like, will they end up being like North Carolina in previous years where you think that that, that those are going to be games that you can't win or going to be really hard to win and that, that doesn't turn turn out to be the case because the teams aren't, aren't as good as people were projecting. So um, I think you're right that how those losses come about will will play a role in, in sort of the perspective as well. If, if you're losing a game by a slim margin, you can sort of chalk that up to, well, Notre Dame's going to get better. They don't have all their players yet. Marcus Freeman's going to learn as a head coach. Um, but, I mean, we've already seen people – there are some people who are, like, still super um, – uh, I don't know, negative is probably – they're just – they're very questioning of Marcus Freeman as a head coach because of how the Oklahoma State Fiesta Bowl game went. Um, like, that is uh, sort of an indictment on his coaching career, where, whereas it's just one moment. Um, and not something that he can learn from it and be able to to correct um, coming this season. Next question is from Stephen Goforth at Steve Goforth Five. I've seen speculation that Al Golden will leave Notre Dame after one year to take another head coaching job. Do you think that's probable or possible, but unlikely? I, I want to spank whoever wrote that or said that because why are we even talking about that at this point? <laughs> the guy hasn't coached a game yet. Uh, but that doesn't mean the quality of the question isn't good. Um, you know, I, I don't even think that's on Al Golden's radar right now. Now, do I think if Notre Dame has a really good year, will he be in demand? Of course he will. You, if you have good coaches and you have a, a great team, people are going to want your assistant coaches. And with everything he brings to the table, he's going to be an attractive um, head coaching candidate at some point, given his head coaching history, NFL history, being a you know a really good assistant and a defensive mind. Heck, yeah, I would I would consider Al Golden r- really quickly. You look at the um, assistant coaches on their staff. There's a few guys that would um, really get people excited about them. Um, so. You know, I, I don't think it's going to happen after one year. I think he would at least stay two years, but he's always going to be in demand if he's as good as I think Al Golden is. Yeah, it, it seems a little unlikely to me given how long he's been out of college football. Um, when he talked about coming to Notre Dame, he 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 described it as like returning to college football needed to be at the right place for him as, as someone that spent a, a decent amount of time in the NFL after. Um, being fired at, at Miami. Um, so so I, I don't think he would just leave for any head coaching job in college football. I think he, especially as someone who's been a head coach a couple times now, he knows 
the formula that he needs in the situation that would be best for him to succeed in. And so he's not going to just jump at any opportunity. Now, maybe, maybe that opportunity that is the perfect fit for Al Golden comes available this offseason. I mean, who's to, I, how are we supposed to predict that? I don't, I don't know, but I, yeah, I don't if, I, if Penn state came open and they wanted him at Penn state. That's his alma mater. Right. That's like the one scenario I can see. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I just think, and even that, like, is this Penn State, would they take the risk on Al Golden after, yeah, with him being out of the college football for so long? I, I just don't think the big time jobs will be lining up for him after one season at Notre Dame. I know, I mean, you might be splitting hairs. You say, well, what's the big difference between one season and two seasons of college football? But I, I just, uh, I, I, I'm not really sure that the, the, the what Al Golden would be looking for in becoming a head coach in college football again would be available to him um, in that in the next offseason. All right, next question is from at Soli Fenton. Which postseason awards could you see Notre Dame players bringing home this season? Well, I think um, Michael Mayer and the Mackey Award, even though that he wasn't a finalist this year, I think you don't, you don't think he'll boycott it, say no thanks, I'm not interested. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and and you know what he can you know this used to not be the case he could be up for the Belitnikoff as well it used to be just wide receivers so he could have his his name there I I could see Fisher being an Outland candidate I don't know how deep that would go but I think Blake Fisher is that good Um, Foskey will be a candidate for Bednarik, Lombardi, Nagurski um, the Hendricks Award, uh, the Lot Award. I think Jarrett Patterson, if he stays at center, will definitely be a finalist for the Remington Award. Uh, Brandon Joseph for the Thorpe and the Lot. Uh, Chris Tyree for the Paul Horning Award. And um, Billy Shrouth for the Best Freshman Brash Interview Award. You don't have you don't have uh, Michael Vinson winning the Patrick Manley Award. Uh, you know what? I I missed that one, and you know what? Maybe Bryce McPherson wins the one that uh, Montgomery Van Gorder won the for the best holder. <laughs> that was one of the funniest videos. You remember that video? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was great. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, you didn't leave any that I would. I, Mayor is the, is the one that would be most likely. And then I think if Jared Patterson were to play center, the Remington trophy would be the other one that would be most likely. Then like, I think maybe a tier below that would be Brandon Joseph as a potential Jim Thorpe award winner. Um, and Isaiah Foskey has the Lombardi award winner. Um, but uh, those would be the one, like, <laughs> uh, I mean, it sort of falls in line with what you would expect Notre Dame's roster to be. I mean, we were, we're all familiar with the talented players on the team. We're, we're not expecting any wide receivers to win the bullet in the cough um, or even any of the running backs to win a Doak Walker. Cause uh, even I, I do think Lorenzo styles is going to have a good year, but not a bullet in a cough type year. Right. All right. Last question is from Rhino 1134 on the insider lounge. Can you give a bold prediction on each side of the ball for 2022? Mine are Maris Leofile being the defensive MVP over Foskey or Joseph. And Buckner accounting for over 3,600 total passing and rushing yards and 35-plus combined 
touchdowns in the regular season. And to clarify, when I'm saying mine, those were Rhino's predictions. Those weren't my predictions. Yeah, I thought those were pretty cool predictions, actually. I think Maris Leofau is the hardest for me to kind of quantify on a national level. But I think just kind of narrowing the picture down to Notre Dame, I think he's one of their best players. Um, But my bold predictions, without any stats attached to them, uh, so these are kind of vague so, so that I can be right. Um, I think um, Tobias Merriweather and Jadarian Price, two freshmen on offense, are going to be more impactful than a lot of people believe that they could be. And then on defense, I think Riley Mills is going to have – he's going to be a big-time player. He's going to be a guy that uh, whoever the NBC announcing crew is is going to be talking about a lot. <laughs> yeah, I- uh, I, I was ahead of – I was predicting big takes for Riley Mills last last uh, preseason, so I would certainly uh, be interested in, in that potentially um, occurring for Notre Dame. In terms of my offensive uh, prediction, uh, I, I'm going to say four running backs will have at least five touchdowns. Um, that's Chris Tyree, Logan Diggs, Audrick Estime, and Jerry Price. Um, I think that I don't I don't know. I didn't look up sort of like the statistical rarity of that, but that seems pretty rare to have four different running backs have five touchdowns. Now, maybe that's not that rare or that's that bold. But that was that was well, something thanks that came, for doing the research. <laughs> that's something that came to. Well, he said a bold prediction. He didn't say a research prediction. <laughs> um, and then in terms of bold predictions on defense, I'll go with Brandon Joseph having 10 interceptions. Wow. <laughs> we're going we're going a very very bold uh very wow. bold uh, okay level for for that one so I, I i mean that doesn't seem very realistic but uh i wanted to be spicy there at the end so uh let's let's go with that okay well i'll say tyler buckner will have eight thousand touchdowns <laughs> <laughs> we're just gonna keep trying to out bold each other yeah. um, <laughs> marcus freeman will have a statue built by the end of the season sorry <laughs> Uh, I'll right. be hired away in the middle of the season. <laughs> All right. That's it for today's episode on the Inside Indie Sports Podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, and share our podcast feed with a friend. We'll be back next week with another episode and a new sponsor to introduce on the podcast. Until then, Stick with InsideNDSports.com for all your Notre Dame coverage needs. 